We're just a few days away from being down to the final four teams in the MLS Cup playoffs. This is the SBI Show. I'm Gary Cleverly. With me, always, is Ivis Galarsep. And, Ivis, did you watch The Walking Dead this weekend? Are you in love with Morgan? Why? Why do you want to spoil the show for people? Come on, man. Oh, it's get Thursday. Too it's too late for them if they didn't see the show. Is it? Oh, so you're saying you want to talk about Glenn? We never talked about Glenn if we're going to get into that. He's he's not dead. There's no I know. Way. I agree. I don't think he's dead. I don't think. He's he's sneak, anyway. Somehow sneak under that dumpster and live. I, that's what. That's what. That's the hope. That's the hope. Uh, but no, no. Good, great show. Morgan. Love Morgan. Uh, I love the actor who plays Morgan. For those people who remember the movie Snatch. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Uh, he was, he was Saul, Saul in Snatch, and he was hilarious in that. And he's, he's a great, great actor. Um, but yeah, man. It's... Uh, I watched it. Actually, I watched the last episode of The Walking Dead at like 5 a.m. after we did our last show. Oh, so uh, I was literally like The Walking Dead that day after that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was good, man. I can't wait to see, get a definitive answer on whether or not Glenn is alive or not. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, we'll find out this weekend. But, you know, they'll probably milk it for another few more episodes. Ivis, we have uh, plenty to talk about on today's show. Lots of things happening this week. Uh, in soccer, then of course you have the MLS Cup playoffs this weekend. Potential roster coming out for the U.S. Men's National Team later on. So lots to get into. But I was a few days away from the Final Four in the MLS Cup playoffs. You will be at this game on Sunday when New York Red Bulls host D.C. United. And for D.C., Ivis, based off their performance in leg one, when they had zero shots on goal and the performance from the Red Bulls, I mean, is this series all but locked up at this point? Well, I mean, anything can happen, obviously, but you got to like the Red Bulls' chances. I mean, as well as they played in the first leg, and now they go home where, they, where they've been excellent for almost the entire season. It's just tough to see D.C. United finding a way through unless something crazy happens, unless there's an early red card, unless there's an early goal of, of some kind by D.C., and then they, then they just kind of pack it in and hold on for the lead. And, and again, when you have Bill Hamid in goal, anything is possible because he can definitely stand on it, put the Superman cape on, and uh, and just keep them keep anybody off the scoreboard, and that's what they're going to need. Because when you just just in a straight up matchup, the Red Bulls are a better team, top to bottom. I don't think anyone can really argue that. But again, we in the playoffs, stranger things have happened. However, that being said, uh, I'm going to have to put my money on the Red Bulls for this one. Oh yeah, and you definitely had to feel good just about the Red Bulls' chances. However, I have this little kink in the armor for them. Center back Damian. Brunel is going to be out for this game due to an issue with his knee. And when he starts next to Matt Miazga, I mean, dude, they're pretty much lights out for the season. Uh, I mean, for New York, I mean, this is something that they're going to have to overcome this weekend. It is definitely a big loss. Uh, for me, Perinellis has been one of them, has been there. For me, their most consistent defender. I know there's been a lot of hype surrounding Matt Miazga, but I, th- I think for me, Perinell is the more important of the two uh, throughout the year. Uh, now, having said that, they have Ronald Zubar who we've heard about all year, about how good he is and how, how how coming into the year he was supposed to be the man for them. And then obviously he got injured and Matt Miaska stepped in and kind of took the job from him. Uh, but now here he is again uh, with a chance to start. And <laughs> all anyone wanted to talk about after the first leg was how he should have been red carded uh, in that first leg against D.C. And I, I, you know, I think most people agree with that. I agree with that. I think that was a red card challenge. But that's water under the bridge now, and, and now we, 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 <laughs> we not, have to, not really water under the bridge for DC fans. <laughs> well, I mean, they need to get over it because it is what it is. I mean, again, it is. It's, but you know what? Calls happen, and I think I said it last show. DC, guess what? You got your call against New England. 
Uh, so you get some and you, you don't get some. It, it goes both ways. And anyone who has followed the series through the years, Red Bulls DC series through the years, there have been calls both ways that have been questionable that have helped teams out and in the playoffs. Uh, not to take it back a dozen years, but I still remember an off, a blatant offside call that was blown on an uh, I think it was an Ernie Stewart goal circa I think it was circa 2003 uh, that really turned the tide in a series in a series that they played the same these two teams. So guess what? Sometimes you get calls, sometimes you don't get calls. At the end of the day, though, when you have zero shots on goal. You can't really complain about, oh, we should have won this game. Like, no, you were terrible. And, yes, could you have potentially gotten bailed out by the red card? Possibly. But anyone who watched them play that day, do you honestly say – can you honestly say that, oh, well, if DC goes up a man, they all of a sudden turn the magic on, the faucet is is open, and the attack just starts to just gush goals? No, like that's a little presumptive. So that's why for me I think it's like let it go. Move on second leg. Let's see what you can do. Let's see what you have. Let's see the quality that you have as a team. Uh, and, and, again, they're going to face the tough Red Bulls team. Uh, their midfield is, is so dominant. And I think we said it last time around, you know, what's Ben Olsen going to do? Is he going to play a five-man midfield, go 4-5-1, try to, try to keep the numbers even in the middle so the Red Bulls don't dominate possession the way they did last time? Or is he going to stick with the two forwards and have Sabrio and Espindola try to cause trouble uh, for that Red Bulls back line, I don't. I, I don't really know which way you go because I don't like either option for them. Uh, I know Espindola and and Sabario, you know, they they caused some problems in the first leg, but again, they weren't. They had zero shots on goal, so you know, it shows you how far it went. So I don't know what they're going to do, man. I, 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 that's why, for that reason, I just don't see them beating the Red Bulls. Yeah, that's an interesting thing about DC because when you look at Ben Olsen's options, I mean, you have to assume that the combination between Fabian Espindola and Alvaro Sobrio, one of them will get a goal. One of them will be able to create a chance. I mean, for both of these guys, Ivis, where especially Espindola, where earlier this year he was looking so good for DC United for him to go completely lights out. And then Sobrio, just a huge disappointment ever since he came over to DC United. I mean, you just it just seems like Ben Olsen's options are limited as if he's bringing a knife to a gunfight because, I mean, there's no one that he can look to on his bench that can immediately come off and create these chances that D.C. desperately needs on Sunday. Right. I mean, they don't have it. They don't have the playmaking quality. Uh, and I know some people look at that that New England win and say, hey, they, they created some, some good stuff there. And, yes, it's true. They did create some stuff. But they don't have that consistent threat that you can count on to really make everyone around you better. Uh, I know we've seen Rolf show some things. I know we've seen Pontius when he's healthy show some things. But just that dominant attacking force, they don't really have that guy who you can just count on. Espindola, you know, he, I, he he's the closest thing they had to that. And I think for me, I think the Red Bulls are going to figure are going to figure out a way to keep him under wraps. And if they and they if they keep Espindola under wraps, the rest is pretty much easy when you look at the matchups. Well, yeah, and also missing Chris Pontius clearly has hurt them. It's just, uh, I mean, look, you, you brought up a good point earlier this year, Ivis. D- DC, you, you said it. I'm going to give you credit for this, Ivis, because you do say you do say things that are correct. But you did point <laughs> out that DC doesn't have that player that can put the team on his back. You know, a guy like Clint Dempsey, Robbie Keane, that type of player. I mean, DC, you know, when you look at just them over the last couple of years, I mean, they've never really had that type of guy. Well, it's been a while. I mean, you want to go back to the Marco Echeverri slash Christian Gomez days. They have had guys like Jaime Moreno in his prime. Uh, and through the history of the club, they've had star players who could create and make things happen. But they haven't. I mean, I've said it before. They just you cannot just completely whiff on the international market and be successful in this league. I mean, 
can you put a team together that grinds out results and and, and finishes above 500 and and gets into the playoffs? Yeah, that's what they've done. They've they, they've able to they've been able to compile some some MLS veterans, some lifers, and and kind of patchwork together a, a, a decent team. But you know, you you have to be able to hit you know hit some home runs on the international market. Go get some guys that can help you uh, on the on the market. And look, I mean, look at the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls transformed their team. They lost Terry Henry. They lost. Uh, Tim Cahill, they had to make some changes, uh, and they went and made some changes. They went and picked up Kamar Lawrence, who was great. Uh, they picked up Perinell last year, who's been great. Uh, Mike Grello was on the scrap heap. They picked him up. He did well for them. But the international signings are key. I think uh, you look at almost any team in the league uh, that's doing well right now, uh, they have international, like good international signings. And we're not talking about multi-million dollar Didier Drogba types. This doesn't have to be that big money types. It doesn't have to be uh, Sebastian Javinko types. Look at FC Dallas with uh, Mauro Diaz and and uh, Fabian Castillo and even Michael Barrios who's done well for uh, done well for them or Vancouver with Christian Sichera. I mean, and Octavio Rivero. These are not multi million dollar guys. These are are reasonably priced attacking a quality attacking players who have come and made an impact. DC United's one international player is Marcus Halstey, and he's not that good. I don't know anyone who can tell me he's he's shown anything to make you say that the guy's a, a I think he's on like three hundred fifty thousand uh, uh, dollars on a three hundred fifty thousand dollars salary and I mean come on there's guys in MLS who are making significantly less than that who are worth twice as uh, what he's worth and so I think DC is going to pay the price yet again for not doing well on the international market. Well, I don't want to go too out on a limb here, Ivis, but I think you know everyone's going to agree that New York looks like the favorite in this match. But still, you know, you're playing a desperate DC United side, and and look, they, I know they looked lifeless, but you never know; some things can go your way, momentum can swing. Um, I mean, look, if you're Jesse Mars, Ivis, I mean, how confident are you going into this game, and what's going to be the message before the game to your players? I think the message is going to be to attack. I don't think they're going to sit back. I think they they're going to want to put this this series out of its misery in the first 15 minutes of this game, and that's I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to high press. They're going to go go after DC, try to put a, put a goal or two up early, and that's really going to it's going to bury DC. I mean, that's all we all remember the season finale against Columbus when you know the crew put in a couple of goals and and it just deflated DC. Uh, obviously, the playoffs will be a little different. You don't think they'll give up after just a couple of goals, but it's just going to be tough at at Red Bull Arena where they've been so good. And I know there'll, there'll be a few cynical Red Bulls fans who will look at the history of the club and say, hey, the Red Bulls have found ways to lose in the past in in, in situations where they should have won. I get that. I've been there for that. I've seen it. I've covered the teams uh, since the 90, since 99. I, I get that. But this team just feels different. This is just a different team, a team that's played so well all year. And I know, you know, they've had a couple of hiccups. I still remember the Orlando City blowout loss at home uh toward, toward the end of later part of the year they they've had they've had those hiccups but i just don't see dc having the weapons to make something like that happen so like i said before barring it's going to take a combination of a bill hamid blinder unbelievable unbelievable game from him and an early goal slash red card uh to really give dc a chance in this game and staying in the Eastern Conference, Montreal Impact, they picked up the victory in the first leg against the Columbus Crew. 2-1, to one, led by goal-scoring machine, Patrice Bernier. Can you believe that? We said that, but dude, he's been on fire. Two goals postseason. Montreal on the road, taking on the Crew. And I, I got to point this out. Montreal, in a very long stretch of games, dating back to early September, have scored a goal in every single game. 
you got to feel pretty good about Montreal's chances going on the road against the Columbus Crew this weekend. Uh, I'm still picking the crew, man. I think it's going to be a great match. I think it's going to. Uh, it's not going to be easy uh, to shut down the crew. I don't uh, to shut down the impact, but I just I just think the crew have have the pieces to make it happen. Uh, I should be picking the impact at this point just because their defense looks so good, and obviously Drogba's Drogba. He's just such a handful. But uh, I just th- there's just some things that I saw in that in that first leg that really lead me to believe that you know they they still have a chance. I think they do. I mean, could it go to extra time? Could it be a two to one going into extra time? Because uh, it, it, if it's two one crew and then it go, then it'll be three three tie and even on on away goals. Could we see an extra time situation? Sure, sure, we could see that. But I just think the crew at home. I think they're going to open up, open it up a little more. I think it's going to be tough for Montreal to keep Kai Kamara and Ethan Finley under wraps again. Keep them under wraps at home. I give them all the credit, and I gave them all the credit last show. Uh, they completely neutralized Ethan Finley. I mean, the guy was invisible. I mean, it was unbelievable when you mm-hmm. looked at the stats. When you looked at the Optus stats, and and uh, you know he just was just literally. I mean, I don't say literally invisible, but his his contributions were were almost non-existent. Uh, he's been too good this year to for me to see him doing that two games in a row. I just don't see it. And Kai Kamara, I think what I think if Finley shows up, I think Kai Kamara obviously will have more service. Uh, and I just think at home that I just think at home the crew's going to be they're going to be tough. They're going to be really tough. And I do think they're going to be able to to neutralize Montreal's uh, attack a bit. You know, I, I know Montreal has found a way to score here and there, but I think that, I think on the road they've been a little bit more of a pragmatic team, a little bit more uh, kind of defensive minded team. Uh, so, but then the whole, but now with the away goals factor, I think Montreal they can't really afford to do that. I think they have to open it up. They have to go get that, try to get that away goal uh, since the crew have one. Um, but I, I'm going to go crew. It's I totally get Montreal being picked by a lot of people, but I'm going to go. I still think the crew, I'm going to go with the crew. See, that's how I feel, man. I just feel the presence of Drogba has just you know put Montreal over to that next level. And especially the rate that he's scoring at his where it's almost a goal game. I don't want to say he's due because it's a little crazy. But still, I mean, just his presence on the field creates an opportunity for Montreal to score a, high, a very high percentage possibility. I mean, Montreal I gets they, that first goal in this game. That's a lot of pressure on the crew. I, obviously, obviously, you don't you don't want them getting that first goal. But I just I thought the crew did a pretty good job on Drogba. I mean, you think about it, the only the only goal or assist Drogba got in that game, the first leg, was for the crew, right? I mean, let's let's look at it that way. Uh, I thought Gaston Saro did a good job on him, and obviously he maybe Drogba got in his head a little bit, and uh, he did get him to draw a yellow card. But I think Saro with his uh, the, his physicality uh, and his athleticism is a good matchup because you can't Drogba can't just push him around. And uh, I think from that standpoint, I think that helps. Obviously, Marco Parkhurst, no one, you don't just, you don't expect Parkhurst to have, uh, to make a mistake like he made in that, in that game. And, and I think he'll, I think he'll shake that off. I think he'll be back and he'll, he'll be solid again. Uh, and I'm sure yeah, he he's got something to prove in this game. So I think he's going to come out, have an excellent game. Uh, and I think the crew defense is going to step up in this game. I really do. Well, the crew are also going to need the attacking players to step up. You mentioned this before. When you look at the stats for Ethan Finley, I think he had six or seven successful passes in the game, and none were in, um, none, none created chances for the Columbus crew. And, and you look at Kai Kamara's performance. I mean, obviously, if you're Greg Borhalter, what are you going to be doing in this match to be able to get Kai Kamara in scoring positions? Well, I mean, I just think they need to get the, atta- the, the wingers involved more. I think... 
I mean, I, th- I, th- I think Justin Merriam had his share of the ball. Uh, I think Iguain obviously had his. I thought I thought he had had a, a number of looks, but uh, I just think they need Finley to get more involved. I mean, Finley obviously was a big part <coughs> of Kamara's success this year, and the way Montreal was able to neutralize him, uh, <coughs> they obviously had watched uh, the films. They've watched. Finley be the leading uh, part of that service, but a- a- again, the fullbacks need to contribute as well. Uh, and 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 Wayne Francis and Harrison Afull uh, have have been effective in terms of getting on out on the counter, providing service in that regard. And I and I, I think they were a bit lacking in that. So I think I think if you're Greg Berhalter, I think he's going to definitely want to attack more. I think he's going to want his wingers, his wide players, to get more involved because they just weren't involved enough. And I know Montreal. Montreal's a tough matchup in that regard. I mean, uh, Oyango is, is, you know, people don't talk about him enough. Uh, Piatti is a handful, mm-hmm. obviously, when you put him on the left. He's, he's, he's uh, you know, running around there making things happen. But I, I tell you what, in this game, I think the fullbacks are going to be better for the crew. I think the center backs will be better for the crew. I think Ethan Finley is going to be better for the crew, and that's why I think they're going to win. How could you miss Patrice Bernier, Ivis? He's good, but hey, he scores at home. <laughs> He's not going to score. Well, now I'm going to jinx it, but he, the <laughs> goals that he has scored. He's look. He's a Montreal. He's a fixture. He's a hometown. He's a hometown boy. He's he, he. You know. He, he obviously is. Is you know. People love him in Montreal, and he steps up. He stepped up on two occasions now with goals in Stade Saputo. But we're talking about Matt Free Stadium slash Crew Stadium. Uh, it's going to be a little tougher. So, and you know what? I want to see Will Trap in this game because Will Trap. Obviously, he's, he's for me. He's one of one of the best players, one of the best young players in MLS. He's been a big key to the crew's uh, success in the second half of the season when he came back from his concussion issues. This is the game. This is the kind of game that can help boost his legacy, boost his standing. Because you, you know, there's a decent amount of talk about him, about the quality he has, and how you know he's getting to that point where you know he should be a national team call up. This is the kind of game where he can impose himself. This is the kind of game where he can really take control of a game and control the rhythm of a match. Uh, it's even against veterans like Bernier and Nigel Rio Coker and those guys in the middle, this is a good, this is a great test for a young, a young standout like track. Well, Columbus is going to need not just him, but a lot of players to step up for them against Montreal at home this weekend. So I'm assuming, but you still feel comfortable about Columbus. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, I'm not as locked in on it as I was before the series. Cause obviously Montreal, they're really impressive. I can't. I can't deny that their defense is, is, has improved so much uh, that you have to take them seriously. You have to say, hey, you know what? They have a chance. Drogba gives them a chance in every game because their defense is so stingy. But like I said, I just can't see the crew. And I saw some signs in the crew in that first leg. Even though they lost that first leg, I saw signs in the crew that tell me when they get home, they're gonna they're gonna be much better. Well, over in the Western Conference, Portland Timbers, Vancouver Whitecaps played to a scoreless draw here in America. Now Portland is on the road, taking on Vancouver at home. And if you're Portland, you do have to take some positives from the scoreless draw and say that you did create the majority of the chances and you should have walked away with a victory. Still not enough, though, for them. What do they need to do? on Sunday against Vancouver to finally get a goal because we know they're capable of it. They're just missing that final piece. They just need to finish. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, I think they've created chances uh, and they've had plenty of the ball. They've had, they've had, they had more of the ball in that first game. They, they, they had, had more chances in that game. They just need to finish. And I think for me, Darnton Nagby, the way he's playing right now, 
he is going to be key once again because he is such a handful. He causes so many problems for the opposing defense. And I think for me, he's going to be a, obviously be a key for this. And, and also Valeri. Diego Valeri is big as well. Uh, if those guys can create chances, then I think you're going to see Fernando Adi, Rodney Wallace, Nagby. You're going to see those guys have real chances on who's David Osted, Give him credit. The Vancouver goalkeeper was big for them in that first leg. Uh, kept kept uh, the uh, the Timbers off the scoreboard. I I think it's going to be tough, man. I don't. I think it's going to be tough to keep them off the board again. And I think that's where the away goals are going to be a factor because I could totally see this being a one-one or a two-two. Uh, and again, the Port- Portland goes through on any any draw that that has a score. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I like Portland in this one. I, I just think Vancouver's missing a little. I, I, I've said it for a while. I said it last couple shows. I think Mora- Pedro Morales, if he's not 100, percent they're just going to be missing that creative piece, that creative spark that they need. And I know there's talk that he's looked good, that he's that he's you know healthy and he's ready to go. Uh, is he though? If, if he starts, if if you see Morales in that lineup. Then I think we're going to be in for a hell of a game that could go either way. If you see Morales start out on the bench, I just don't know if Vancouver's going to have enough firepower to keep up with Portland. And I know Portland is going to is going to put some chances on. And again, we can't forget these are two strong defenses. So it's one of those games where there aren't there might not be a lot of goals, but I think it's still going to be an entertaining game. It's not going to be a blah game. And, and no offense to DC and the Red Bulls, but the first the DC Red Bull first leg was kind of a little bit blah. Um, it was. I th- you, I th- you, don't, I th- you don't need to say that nice. It's, right, it's, it's right. pretty. Well, uh, <laughs> right. I don't think Timbers Whitecaps. You're going to see that. I think they're going to be. They're going to go back and forth. I think the battle in midfield is going to be good. But I'm going to Portland. Man. I'm going to stick to my pick. Uh, I think they're going to get the away goal, and I think they're going to go through. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Portland, you got to feel good. All you need is one goal. Things are looking up for you. And just you know, when you look at the Whitecaps, their play just over the last couple of weeks leading up to the end of the season hasn't been the strongest. Portland, on the other hand, has had some strong play, and I mean, it just it just it just feels like this is more of Portland's game for them, especially yes, since especially since as we know, Vancouver has not been good at home this year. They've been yeah, they've been okay. They haven't been as good as you need to be. If you that's the thing, Portland has Vancouver has the worst home record of the teams that are left in this playoffs and Portland has one of the best, if not the best road record. So the gap there is not that much when you think about when you, when you want to say home field advantage, that's why for me, the home field advantage for this leg is not really that it doesn't really, it almost doesn't exist when you look at, when you consider the, that fact that both these teams are pushing towards low extremes that, that almost match up. So I'm going to go Portland. I think they're going to go through, I think Nagby, uh, is going to have himself a game. I think he's going to score at least one goal and uh, and put them through the conference final. Well, for Portland, hey, at least you'll have fresh legs for this one. I mean, a couple days rest coming off that knockout round that's game exactly, that could that it. could be the factor in it. Well, that's the thing. Think, how crazy is that? After that ridiculous game against Kansas City, Portland looked amazing mm-hmm. in that first leg. When you think about it, when you think about what was it? Sixty hours later, they had to go play a game against a rested Vancouver team, and they looked like the fresher team. So. Now that they actually have some rest, it's going to be interesting to see how they look. I'm with you. I'm going Portland. Portland or second Portland, Ivis? Yes, sir. In the final match, DC. I'm sorry, not DC. Excuse me. We already talked about them. In the final match, FC Dallas plays host to the Seattle Sounders, who won in the first leg, two to one. Um, look, FC Dallas, Ivis, for the most part, looks pretty good in that first leg until Seattle scored, and they scored again. I mean, no need for panic time for FC Dallas, correct? No, they're they're in it. They're in this one. I think they played well. I think they I think they played well enough to keep to maintain a sense of confidence, to maintain a sense of belief that 
we can do this. We have a chance. And 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 let's not forget now. Last they played these teams played in the playoffs last year, and it, and it mm-hmm. went it came down to it came down to away goals, right? It came down, it, it was an even series, and came down to away goals. And I think that experience has to give FC Dallas some confidence that they look at that and they say, we've pushed this Seattle team to the brink now. Uh, we've matched up with, with them, played well against them. There's no reason we can't win this game at home, and they've been excellent at home. They've been excellent at home this year. Uh, I haven't said all that. I'm still going to pick Seattle just because I think Seattle is a stronger team. I think Clint Dempsey is is rounding in the form. Um, I'm not. I mean, we don't know at this point what the status is for Osvaldo Alonso, but I think Andy Rose has stepped in and filled in admirably. I think Zach Scott has filled in admirably for for Brad Evans. Uh, they're, they're still going to miss Evans and Alonso if those guys aren't available. But if they are available, that's even more of a reason to pick yeah. Seattle. I think Seattle with, the, with with their big guns up top, and then also Andreas Avanches, man. Let's talk exactly. about exactly. He the, stepped up he, to be exactly. the third musketeer. You need a th- you kind of need a third musketeer, and he's been that 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 third musketeer to step up for them and, and and give Martins and Dempsey someone else that they can turn to. And he's been excellent. He's been excellent. Now who's FC Dallas? Can, who's there? They need a third musketeer because I mean obviously you have Diaz and Castillo, so you need another one. You need Barrio. Michael Barrios needs to step up. Uh, to share if he to if he starts, he needs to step up. Black, are they going to bring Blas Perez off the off the bench to step up? They need someone else. You can't just have Diaz and Castillo. That's just not going to be enough. Look for Seattle. You're exactly right. Andre Sivan should stepping up. Also, don't forget Eric Freeberg scored the goal in the knockout round for them against the LA Galaxy. I mean, that's the thing with Seattle, Ivis, is that these guys that they brought over, you know, July, August, are finally paying dividends for Seattle, stepping up, finally kind of meshing in with this team. I mean, that's kind of what's kind of helped them when you look at the overcoming the loss of Alonso. I mean, so bad when he was gone this summer. These guys came in, things started working out, and, and you just look at Seattle, it's just, I mean, they're, they're finally playing as a unit. It took a while, Ivis. You you just you're just seeing that on the field right now. You're just seeing the cohesion. You're seeing the chemistry between the players. Well, in, well, in, but that's the thing, man. They were injured. They were well, you you. They were missing Dempsey. They were missing Martins. They were missing Alonzo for that stretch where they just went. I don't remember how many in a row they lost. I don't know if they lost nine in a row. They had a really awful run, and it and it was injuries. It'd be one thing if they had all their guys and it just wasn't clicking. Like when you look at the LA Galaxy, who had they had their guys. The Galaxy had uh, Keen, the Santos, Gerard. Zardis, Omar Gonzalez, they had they had their guys and they just didn't it, they didn't have it. They weren't clicking. It didn't work. Um, Seattle, when they were at their worst, they didn't have their best guys. And you take the three best guys off of almost any team in MLS, and they're gonna they're gonna drop games. They're gonna lose games. It's just teams don't have that kind of luxury of depth. Now those guys are healthy, and they've added more depth. The, the, those signings, Nelson Nelson Valdez, Andreas Invanches, Eric Freeberg, at the time, you're looking at those signings and thinking, do they need these guys? Why do they really need these guys? And now you re, you see it. You see the value of adding that depth, and you see the value of going to the international market and getting guys that can help you. And, and, and you know what? Not to keep harping on DC United, but – DC United needs to look at Seattle and what they did and, and boosting that bench. And to be fair to DC, I'm sure there's some financial limitations on their part because they're a team that obviously is losing money playing at RFK Stadium and maybe their ownership group is trying to do things on the cheap a little bit and that kind of limits what they can do on the international market. I'm, I'm, I'm get, I get that. But you know what? DC United fans don't want to hear that. They, they want a team that they want a good team on the field. They don't want to hear about your trouble with money. 
You go get some talent on the international market. Seattle has done that, and now they're reaping the rewards of doing well on the international market. All right, well, look, I'm not buying the Sounder hype like you are, not drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm going to stick with FC Dallas in this one. I'm going to say Mauro Diaz has a game. He leads FC Dallas in the next round. Possible. It's possible. I'll tell you what. Last year, I'm pretty sure I said there was no chance it wasn't going to happen. This time around, I think there is a chance. Obviously, they're at home, so they have a chance. I think they, their home field advantage is, is is legitimate, whereas I don't. I think Vancouver is not as not as strong at home. Uh, but I'm still going Seattle, man. I think Martins and Dempsey are going to just be too tough to deal with. Dempsey's starting to feel it now, man. That free kick he scored. He's been getting more of the ball, getting more chances, get getting you know being more involved in the attack. And when Dempsey and Martins are clicking, they are just so tough to stop. And, hey, Dempsey, the Texas boy, will be in Texas. He likes to play in Texas. Let's not forget the one game he did play at, at, at uh, you know, Toyota Stadium in Frisco this year. He scored two goals. It was with the U.S. national team, but it's, it's still the same stadium he, he scored there. And I think he's going to do it again, man. I think he's going to come back, come home to Texas, get at least a goal, and, and send Seattle to the conference final. Well, Ivis, these eight teams that are playing this weekend aren't the only MLS teams making headlines this week. We talked about it earlier on the previous show about New York City potentially firing Jason Christ. That has become a reality. He's been let go by the club after one year. Um, you know, reports coming out, not as shocking, but still, Ivis. I mean, when he took the job, I mean, come on, you're expecting the leash to be a little bit longer than one year. I can't say I'm totally shocked that he got fired after one year, just because not nothing against him. But when you have a situation where you have foreign-based owners, European-based owners who have the European mentality where you know they want results yesterday, you could kind of see that this outcome playing out if there was a bad year. And there's no doubting they had a bad year. Uh, and when you look at the whole thing, you kind of say to yourself, maybe this just wasn't a good fit. Um but for me, I, the, the, the point, the main point I tried to get at when I, I, I did, I wrote my gold.com piece on this whole, this whole fiasco is for me, I thought it was interesting that NYCFC, when they, when they parted ways with Christ, they put out this statement and they pretty much, they pretty much threw him not threw him under the bus, but they pretty much were like, look, he wasn't good enough. We don't think he was ever going to be good enough. So we had to make a move. That's, <laughs> that's essentially what they said. And my issue with that was, hold on a minute. Did you guys give him everything he needed to succeed? I don't think so, because guess what? When he needed his full team from the beginning of the season, you didn't make that happen. When he needed Frank Lampard from the beginning of the season, you didn't make that happen. When he needed reinforcements from Manchester City by way of the loan options that they had, they had four, they had the opportunity to loan them four players. So you figure, hey, this is your new team. Give them four players that really give them make an impact for them. And guess what? Didn't happen. They loaned them Shea Facey, who was okay, and not and, and he had he played at center back. He's not really a center back, but he did okay. And uh, and Angelino, an eighteen year old fullback who showed some signs, but let's face it, he wasn't a difference maker. So did you come through there? No, you didn't come through there. When Frank Lampard had another chance to come in May, they said no. They kept him even longer and. That cost them even more games, more games without one of their top players. And all that stuff came back to haunt them. When Jason Christ wanted defensive reinforcements, did you get him defensive reinforcements? No, you got him Andrea Pirlo when he already had a stacked midfield. And I get it. Pirlo is a legend. I get that. I love Pirlo. I think he's one of my favorite players. But that's not what they needed. 
And that's not what Christ needed. And I'm, I, I can guarantee that's not what he asked for. So instead, they get they bring Pirlo, who who struggled with his with his fitness, obviously coming in for preseason, and they gave him Anthony Iraola, Spanish defender, again another player who Christ never asked for, and a player who came in not fit because he was in preseason form and he never caught up. And guess what happened? The team fell. The team fell on its face. So you can. I'm not going to say Christ is blameless in all this, but I thought it was a little presumptuous of the club to pretend that it was all on Christ. When they, for me, they didn't give him everything he needed to succeed in year one. Well, I think the biggest question, though, Ivis, is now going to be where Jason Christ is going on next. And it's not as easy as saying that if Seattle doesn't win the MLS Cup final, that Shiggy Smith is gone. And, oh, Jason Christ is going to go there. It's, it's not that easy. And w- what is the next move for him here? There's a couple of options, right? Uh, Toronto FC looks like it's not an option. Uh, Bill Manning, who worked with Christ at, at RSL, uh, pretty much stated that, that Greg Vanny is going to be his guy. So that's not an option. Chicago, you got to think, is a possibility. Um, they, that That is the one job that's actually open right now. Uh, although I, I reported today on Goal.com that Ty Ramos is, is the front runner for that position, even though at this point no offer has been made, from what I've been told. Uh, but from what I understand from my, from my sources, he is at the top of the list for that for the for the fire. Uh, I think they're going to do their due diligence in terms of interviewing as many people as they can, get a sense for what's out there. So is Ty Ramos definitely going to be the guy? He's not yet locked in. It's not like they've offered him a job. They haven't made an offer. They haven't even approached him yet with anything to that effect. But from what I understand, he is at the top of the list. They've they've interviewed Richie Williams. They've interviewed Mike Pecky. I'm sure they're going to interview some more people. Um, but Jason Christ could be an option there. I, I think he could be. Now, you mentioned Seattle, and and my, and I don't know if I'm, I, I sometimes I forget what we talk about on the show, but I don't know if I mentioned a, mentioned a scenario before. But the scenario that comes to mind for me, there's two scenarios. Um, one is yes, Seattle falls Seattle fall short in the playoffs. Let's say they lose to Dallas, um, or even if they lose in the conference final, I can see Seattle making a change and going with Jason Christ and 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 pushing out Siggy Schmidt. Now, the other scenario is let's say Seattle wins the whole thing. Let's say they win MLS Cup, and you're Siggy Schmidt. You will it will be your third MLS Cup title. You will become the first coach to win an MLS Cup title with three different teams, right? Three MLS Cups, pretty damn good career. Does he retire? And that's something that, something I think people should 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 wonder about, you know, because he's not getting any younger. He, he's had some health issues. Obviously, this year there, there were some health issues. We don't know the the, the full details of it. But, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, how much longer is he going to go? He's 62 years old. He's going to be 63 next season. Is he at that point in his career now where he's going to kind of step back, say, you know what? I want to enjoy life a little. I want to step aside and kind of stop and smell the roses uh, and, 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 you know, walk out on top. That's something to think about. I I don't think I don't think that's completely out of the realm of possibility. And uh, because for me, look, I think he's a great coach. I know he gets his share of flack. but I think that would be, that'd be a hell of a way for him to go out, go out with that third MLS Cup. And if that happens, Christ, who I can tell you what, if C. Schmidt retires, Jason Christ is going to be the Seattle coach. I, don't, I just I just don't see anyone else. And, and I know they have assistant coaches there. I get that. But no, Jason Christ, it, Garth Lagerway is your GM. Jason Christ will be. Well, now the search begins for New York City FC. The question is, who are they going to bring in? I mean, look, I'd be surprised if they hire a coach with MLS experience. I give it a 1% chance that that happens. <laughs> That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. 
Now, obviously, I reported last week that that they were talking to Fabio Capello, and I've been told that he's the front runner. Uh, and but I was told that obviously, uh, I was told that even before Christ was fired, when it was pretty much a done deal that Christ was going to get fired, I was told that Capello was the front runner. And uh, Patrick Vieira is another name that's been mentioned in that competition in that in that race. Although I've also been told that that Vieira is not going to be the guy; he's not going to take the job. And Vieira is an interesting one because for me, look, we know Patrick Vieira is an amazing player. Uh, we know he's someone that, that they respect highly in the Man City setup there. He's coaching in the youth setup there. But I just don't know how much he really wants to be in MLS. Does he really? Does he? You know, I believe he wanted to coach in England. There was he went up for he went for a job, didn't get it. I'll, for me, what always stands out for me is that I remember one time he was here with Man City. And uh, I asked him about MLS. I asked him about coming to play in MLS. And he pretty much gave me the child, please, are you kidding me face? That's the face he gave me. Like, like, come on, man. I'm Patrick Vieira. I'm not coming here. And so that was only like three years or three, four years. Maybe it was maybe it was longer. I don't know. I'm getting old. I can't. It all it all blends together. But that 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 day, that guy, he struck me as a guy who would never come here and coach. Now, if they say, all right, you coach there. Then you take some steps, and then you can coach in England. Maybe could he do it? I don't know. But uh, what I do know is Fabio Capello wants to come to America. He wants to coach in MLS, and guy's got a f- impressive resume. Does that mean I think he's going to do well in MLS? I I wouldn't go that far. I don't know if he'd be a good fit. But you can't knock the resume. You can't knock the respect that he'll have from the players because I mean the guy's coached Real Madrid. He's coached AC Milan. He's coached England. The guy, he's a known commodity in terms of the international coaching world. He, he, Capello, he's Capello. That's all you need to know, Capello. But, um, so from that standpoint, I think NYCFC could totally be in love with that, be in love with that resume and be in love with, with him being able to shore up their issues because the, the defense is such an issue there. Maybe they see him as being the guy who can transform them into a defensive juggernaut. I don't know. I just I, for, I agree with you, man. I, I don't think they're going to hire an MLS person, someone with MLS experience, and I think that's a mistake because I just am not sold on their front office. I'm not sold on Claudia Arena ha- having the knowledge of MLS to succeed. And if you don't have a coach that has that knowledge or a front office that has that knowledge, who is going to be the voice of reason there? Who's going to be the voice that says, okay, this, these guys are good in MLS, these guys aren't good in MLS? Who's going to be like, there is nobody like that right now. So that's why for me, if they do go that route, I think, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to work out too well for them. Well, down in Miami, this is not looking good for your boy, David Beckham, as this group's deal to land the stadium before the MLS board of directors meet in December when the deal is supposed to be done, it's not looking good. Pretty much what the dealio is, is they're trying to buy land. The owners of the land are asking for an absurd amount of money. Tim Lincoln, so, so says so says Miami's group. Yeah, so says Miami's group, which has now gone to the media and is now saying, oh, well, you know, woe is us, and we're not going to get the stadium. These Public people, opinion please is on our side. These people are greedy. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. I know, like, which, which... Settle down. Look, maybe there is a problem, you know, but... They're trying to get paid, man. I, of course they are. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but going to the meet is not the end all. Hey, to quote Goodfellas, "F you, pay me." That's what that's what it comes down <laughs> to. Um, I I don't know. It, 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 I know people were were hearing, were listening to this stuff, and Tim Lewicki loves to talk. Tim Lewicki loves to make uh, you know outlandish statements. And, yeah, some and, of the things he said were pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, he's, that's how we have, man. He's a, he's a very interesting character, man. He's a guy who. He's a big personality. He's a he's a, like a like he's that type of guy when you're in a room with him, 
like you know he's the like the alpha in the room. Like he has just got he's just got that that magnetic like just strong personality to him. Uh, but guess what? You know it doesn't mean just because you're like just because that's how you are it doesn't mean you always get what you want or you always get your way. And obviously there are these there are these people in in Miami who are not ready to just give up their land unless they get what they consider fair market value. So they have at the end of the day they have these owners these landowners have that Miami group over a barrel and they're going to have to pay. Like this, that's what it comes down to. I don't think you're going to get a, you're going to get an eminent domain ruling that's going to force them out. I don't see that happening. So you know what? They're going to have to pay because that that's the land they want. And and they're just gonna have to make it happen because I, I don't know how I don't know how much longer MLS can wait for Miami. I just don't. At least not wait in terms of making sure they're one of the first twenty four teams. How much longer can you wait? Because guess what? The line is starting to pile up. Yep. Sacramento's there now. San Antonio is kind of knocking on Dude, the door. San now, Antonio looks good with the Spurs group getting involved. That that to me looks really good. It's a, yeah. I mean, I got we'll, we'll get into that later. I, I got some info that that I've I've been passed along regarding that whole situation but yeah you got sacramento you got san antonio we already know that atlanta uh atlanta la two and minnesota are three are three of the next four so now you need that one more and sacramento i still say is great make that happen uh although now san antonio gives you another option so mm-hmm. if you're down Gar- I, mean, I know garber loves miami and i know after he finally succeeded in landing NYCFC in New York, he moved on to Miami being his kind of, you know, his Moby Dick. Like he has to make it happen. He has to conquer it. Um, but at a certain point, man, you got to you got to cut your losses or, or at the very least you have to say, you know what, Miami, we've tried. We've tried. We have to move on for now, for now. Um, and I wonder how much urgency there is in getting them in to the 24 because of NASL now bringing a team to Miami. I wonder if that plays a part in it. I wonder how much that, that that's involved there because can they afford to sacrifice the market to NASL? And I, look, NASL is obviously a smaller league. Uh, so we're not operating on the same, on the same kind of wavelength because when Miami MLS comes to, when MLS comes to Miami, that team's going to have star, like they're going to have like Zlatan type, you know, star players most likely, but you still don't want to give away years to another team in that market. So maybe that plays a part in it, but for me, I think it gets done. I think it gets done. I think Beckham says, "You know what? Here's a check. Here's an here's an here's an extra million. Get the hell out. Let's finally get this over with because it's been going on for too long. And if you let this deal collapse over a couple of million dollars, you'd be insane. Obviously, they have to negotiate through the media now. They're gonna posture. They're gonna hem and haw. They're gonna call people names. Call them greedy. You know, all this. That's fine. It's all part of the game." But at the end of the day, as they say, good fellas, F you, pay me. <laughs> well, hey, look, clock is ticking. I've been ticking slowly, but now it's finally on a rapid pace. You picked this exclusive story up, Ivis, um, reporting on the status of Jordan Morris is mulling his options. I don't want to steal anything from you on this one. What's the latest with Jordan Morris? Because, I mean, look, he has a few options here. Right. I mean, we all know he's in college. We all know the that you know he's... He's just interest in him has blown up ever since the you know his breaking into the U.S. national team. Everyone's wondering when's he going to turn pro? Why is he still in college? What is wrong with this kid? Why is he not in the pros already? Uh, he love a he loves college. B he doesn't need the money. His father's the team doctor of the Seattle Sounders. There's no rush. He can enjoy himself, play in college, have a good time. The pros will be there when he's ready. Um, 
Having said all that, I think most people, myself included, figured, you know what? Once this junior year is done, it's time to move on. Three years is more than enough time in college. Now it's time to start that pro career. Um, although now, from what I've been told, is he has not he has not yet made that decision. Obviously, he's still in his college season, so it's not like he's going to sign his contract and leave his team high and dry. He is going to finish his season out. Um, what I also know is that, from what I've been told, my sources have told me that Seattle has already tabled an offer to him. That will make him the highest paid homegrown player in league history. Now, that's obviously not like, you know, it's not like the homegrown players get paid millions of dollars. I believe Jossie's artist uh, to the, to date has the highest uh, homegrown player deal ever, ever handed out. And and I think there's still some question about just how much that is. Is it one hundred and fifty thousand uh, for the first year? Uh, in that range, I think I think if you're asking what kind of what kind of price range Jordan Morris is going to register right now, probably in a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar a year range, maybe upwards of three hundred thousand. If he wanted to uh, pit MLS in Seattle against Europe in terms of uh, um, a, a a a bidding war, is that going to happen? Although from what I've been told, Europe not going to ha- Europe's not going to happen for Morris. Not because it can't, because obviously he's already done enough. He's already put enough enough on film to get offers out there because the guy is a free agent essentially mm-hmm. because anyone can come and sign him now. Bayern, hypothetically speaking, Bayern Munich could show up at his door tomorrow and say, "We want you. We want you with the go gay player. Here's ten million dollars," and he'll go. Like he can go, and nothing can stop him. Um, having said that, that was, I, not a, that was not a good German accent. Yeah, I, yeah, it's too late. <laughs> I, I haven't. I haven't I gotta watch Die Hard or something. I, I don't know. I gotta watch something to get my. I, you know what? I haven't been around Klinsman in in in, in a month now, so that, I'm, I'm rusty on my German accent. But um, but yeah. But my the sense I get from what I've been told, people I've talked to, is that Morris isn't really. You know, he's not keen on going to Europe. Like he he's he's fine. He's fine staying in America. He's fine staying in MLS. But he's not gonna rush into it. And the great thing about it is he doesn't have to rush into it. So is this a negotiating ploy on his part? Possibly. Or maybe it's just a kid who, you know what, he's still not in a rush and he can take his time. So uh, as it stands now, from what I understand, he has not made a decision yet. Um, If you're asking me what I think he's going to do, I think he's going to turn pro. I think this is it for him. It should be it for him. He should go pro already because I'll tell you what, he will do it. He will do damage. He will do year one damage in MLS. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be Kyle Aaron's 17 goals in his first year, but he is going to do well right off the bat. I don't think anyone denies that. So. Stop! No offense to college, I love the college game, but he has wasted his college. Get in the pros already, kid. So I think he's gonna make. I, ultimately, I think he's gonna end up doing that. But for right now, I don't think anyone should rush him. I just mentioned this actually a little earlier on the show. Tab Ramos, leading candidate for the Chicago Fire. You also had the scoop on this. Is he the ideal choice for the Chicago Fire and what they need to do to get back to their previous glory? What's well, interesting, you know, he hasn't been a head coach before on the club level. So that's what you wonder, like, how will he be a fit? I mean, he's a smart guy, bright guy, very intelligent guy. Obviously, he was a great player. Uh, he is he is definitely, you know, he, he's a cerebral coach. Like, he he definitely understands the game on a, on a, on a finite level that I think he could – it could translate into success. Uh, and, 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 you know, here's the thing. It's not – no one is shocked by this development. I think I think anyone who, who's who's kind of tied into the into the American soccer scene is fully aware that Nelson Rodriguez and Tab Ramos have a long-standing history. I mean, they're they're good friends. They're close. They have good. They have very good. Uh, they have a very good relationship. So pretty much when Rodriguez took that job, Tab Ramos was at 
or near the top of the shortlist. When you looked at it and you said, hmm, who Nelson Rodriguez hired for that job? Ty Ramos was pretty much on that list from minute one. Um, having said that, I think, you know, if you're Nelson Rodriguez, you've, you've been handed a team. You're not going to just rush into handing out jobs to, to guys who are your friends. You're still going to do your due diligence. He has he is interviewing people as we speak. He is, he interviewed Mike Pecky. He interviewed Richie Williams. He's going to interview more people. He, I'm sure he will have a conversation with Jason Christ. He's got to go through that entire process. And at the end of the day, he's going to have to weigh all that and weigh what he's learned and, and weigh that against hiring Ty Ramos. And uh, if you're asking me who's my money on him hiring, my money's on him hiring Ty Ramos. But – you know, again, it's going to be up to Ty Ramos to decide: Do I is this the job I'm going to take, or am I going to continue with the national team, continue in the youth national team setup? Obviously, he did well with the under twenty World Cup team. Um, he can bide his time a bit more, but you know what? Th- this is an interesting opportunity there, man. Because as much as Andrew Houtman as an owner, there's questions there about his 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 you know him as an owner. There's definitely questions about the stadium. It's not a it's not a great location. It's a, it, which is definitely, I think, a, a drawback for that that job. And I know people will say, wait a minute, they have a soccer-specific specific stadium. Why is it an issue? It's an issue because they're in the boondocks. They're in a tough place to go to. Uh, it's just not – it's not. And it, as far as soccer-specific stadiums go, no offense, but it's, it's probably the worst one. I mean, of the relatively new – I mean, obviously, Map Free Stadium is the first. So it ha- it's like the most basic stadium. But in terms of the next wave, in terms of – uh, StubHub Center, Dick Sporting Goods Park, uh, Toyota Stadium. In terms of that entire generation of stadiums, Chicago Stadium is the worst. So there are those challenges. There are those challenges, but it, it's up to. I think it's going to be up to Ty Ramos to decide. You know what? I know Nelson Rodriguez. I know he's an intelligent guy. I know he's going to do a good job running that team. I know I can trust him. I'll take that job. There's talent there. They got Harry Ship. They got Matt Polster. I can, you know, I can make it work there. So we'll see, man. I, I, I think, I think he's gonna, I think he'll take it, and I think he could do a good job there. Jermaine Jones, I was out of contract and mulling a lot of options. He has gone out and said that he's looking for a more of a long-term deal for the sake of his family. However, at 34 years old and given his recent injuries, current form, I mean, do, does he warrant anything more than, let's say? A two-year deal from New England, or even from anywhere, anyone else. That's the thing, man. I think just from what I'm hearing and, and, and the conversations that I've had with insiders, he he's a bit he's a bit unrealistic on what he wants. I mean, I think he he's looking at it from the standpoint of uh, standpoint of, hey, I'm still a great player. I'm still a dominating player. You should be able to give me a three or four year deal at big money because I am a great player. And it's like, yeah, Jermaine, I get that. We get that. But you're 34 years old. He just turned 34. He's coming off a year where he's missed a lot of time with injuries. And he's still with the national team. So that, like, you know, you say, oh, that's great that he's with the national team. No, he's an older player. He's going to be called away. He's going to have games. He's going to have qualifiers to play in. That's taking away from time with the the national team. That's not, you know, at a certain point, that ceases to be uh, a plus on your side. And I can understand why New England at this point, and I reported this on Thursday, uh, New England has yet to make an offer to uh, Jermaine Jones. They haven't made any offers yet, and it's New England. We know they like. We know how they like to do. We know they like to squeeze their, the, squeeze these players. Uh, they know they have the leverage. They know they have his rights, and he pretty much has to either take what they offer him or hopefully work out a deal somewhere else. He doesn't really have a lot of options. He's not going to Europe. He's not. He's thirty four years old. 
he's not he, you know he wants to stay in the US he wants to stay with his family he's not going to Europe because he's not making anywhere close to what he can make here in Europe he's not those days are over you're 34 MLS, in Europe they 34 year olds just aren't unless you're a goalkeeper 34 year olds just aren't walking in and getting multi-year uh seven figure deals uh I know there's been rumors about Mexico my sources tell me that's not likely to happen because again uh, there's money in Mexico, but there's money in Mexico for younger attacking players. There's money in Mexico for established goal scorers, that that sort of thing. But in terms of a a, a physical 34 year old defensive midfielder, is is he gonna draw? Is he gonna generate two million dollars a year? No, it's not gonna happen. I know there was talk about Club Tijuana. My people down there tell me he, he he's not making that. They're not making paying him that kind of money. Not even close. So. I, what do you do? It, Jermaine, Jones, Jermaine Jones, listen, this, this is what I think he'll do. If he has to take a pay cut, and I mean a serious pay cut. I mean, I'm talking like if he may, if, if his last deal was like $2 million per prorated $2 million per year, he's going to he, he's gonna be lucky to make half that. And maybe he'll look at that and be insulted by that. But this is that's the market, my man. You can either take it or you can retire. It's one or the other. So the question I think will be – when he finally realizes, okay, I, I'm not going to make $2 million a year over four years. I'm not getting that deal. When he realizes the best he's going to do is a two-year guaranteed deal at a million if he's lucky or seven fifty k if you know around that range. Once he accepts that, then he's going to have to ask himself, do I want to play in New England for that money? Or do I want to force them to trade me? And I think that's what's going to come down to. I think it's going to come down to, will is, is New England going to be willing to trade him? Will will he and MLS be able to come up with a number? And I say MLS because again, MLS is always involved in these negotiations at a certain point. Will they come up with a number that Jermaine Jones accepts? And will New England find a trade partner that is willing to pay Jermaine Jones a million a year for for two years, two plus? You know, that's that's the question. If you and I'll ask that to if you're listening right now, you're an MLS fan. Your team needs a defensive midfielder. Ask yourself that question. Do you think it's worth it for your team to go trade for Jermaine Jones at 34 years old, making a million dollars a year? That's the big question. Nope, that's a little crazy. When you talk about tough. players getting paid, Ivis, Kuba Torres got paid last year very handsomely, but the Houston Dynamo reports are coming out that they are looking to trade him. Houston Dynamo have denied that. What's the latest going on here? Well, yes, there were there were some there was stuff out there. Uh, reports claiming that. The Dynamo are, are shopping him or tra- trying to trade him. Now, here's my thing. Uh, it's a, And it's all, you know, you can say it's semantics. You can say what have you. Here's what it boils down to. My sources tell me Eric Kubotoris has a no trade cause. So, therefore, no trade is happening unless he wants it, right? So, I think, is Houston looking to see if there's anyone that's a good fit? I'm sure that's that's a possibility, and that and theoretically, technically, that is shopping him. So you could say yes, they're shopping him, but does that mean a trade definitely happens? No, because guess what? You still have to find a team that likes him and is willing to pay the money, and a team and and have that team be a team that he actually likes. And how many teams are out there that can afford to pay what it's going to cost to bring Eric Kubo Torres over? It's not it's not simple because you have to pay Torres. And you have to give Houston something of considerable value, so that that's not gonna be easy to do. You know, he's coming off a bad year. I mean, if I'm Houston, I'm look if if I'm Houston, I'm cutting my losses. I'm selling him to back to Mexico. I, I'm sure Chivas will buy him back. I think that's gonna be what happens, just because I don't know. I know the Chicago Fire were interested in Cuba Torres, but 
I, 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 last year, but I don't know. I don't know who's going to step in now after what was a, a bit of a – let's face it. It was a bit of a disappointing year for him in MLS. I don't know who's going to step up now and pay the kind of money that he's on now. And back down in Florida, Ivis, it seems like Orlando City has made it its goal to announce something big every single week of this MLS offseason, so we always have to talk about them. They recently have gone out and hired a new chief soccer officer this week. That is Armando Canero. He is Portuguese. A lot of people expected him, Ivis, to take a top job in Europe. I mean, Orlando City's touting this as a very big signing for them to bring him over to America. What do you make of this? I'm not a fan, man. I gotta say, I know, I know. Obviously, Orlando loves the move; they made it. But I got questions about this one because here's the thing: the guy does not have experience in the in the U.S. Right? You have just put him in charge of your entire organization, and I get it, right? If you if you read the quotes coming out of this, Phil Rollins, their owner, said, "Look, we ha- we have we have grand plans. We want to be a, we want to be a global player." We want to be a, a team that that's a a, 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 a world it, on the world le- level. We want to be a top club in the world. I, I get that. That's great. Good for you. Ambitious. I like that. That's nice. But guess what? Before you get to the point of being an international player, you need to be a national player. You need to be an MLS power. And they ha- they're not there yet. They're in year one, and they're already doing that. And 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 so for me, it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse a little bit. You know, and and what I, what was funny to me is how after the Jason Christ firing went down, all of a sudden everybody wanted to praise Orlando City as being the model expansion team. How they did it right, they they almost got in the playoffs, and it's not easy for expansion teams to get in the playoffs. They almost got in despite all the injuries. They had a, they had a good year. They drew crowds. They played good soccer. So positives all across the board, right? So you heard that all week, especially in the wake of the Christ NYCFC dumpster fire, Orlando City being propped up by everybody. And then they turn around and say, no, you know what? We're going to just shake everything up. We're going to hire a new guy to be in charge of everything. Like, whoa, hold on. I thought they were doing great. I thought they had a good first year. What is with the shakeup? I, I, I just I, I don't get it. And, and, and for me, Paul McDonough, I thought he did a heck of a job in his first year. Uh, from my understanding, he was the driving force behind uh, drafting Kyle Lahren, uh with the number one overall pick instead of trading the pick, instead of going another route. He pushed for Kyle Aaron. Kyle Aaron, uh, runaway rookie of the year player. He uh, he made he wheeled in deal. He made some very good trades for them. Uh, and and they had obviously when you when you compare the two teams and you look at the expansion draft, I think by most accounts, most people agreed that that Orlando City had the better expansion draft. So. If he's your general manager and he ticks off all the boxes in terms of everything that 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 he was supposed to do in year one, now you turn around and say, "Hey, get, you know what? You did a good job in, in your first year. Great, good job. Guess what? We're hiring someone to be above you now, to essentially be the new guy in charge now." Now, if I'm Paul McDonough, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this like, "Whoa, whoa, hold on! I do a good job in the first year, and this is how you pay me. This is how you repay me. How you thank me?" So. I don't, you know, I I have to wonder how long he's going to stay in Orlando, because if, if I'm McDonough and I'm looking at this and I'm like, I do so well in this first year, I know the league, up and down, and now you're bringing a guy to be my boss who does not know the league. Why do I want to stick around here? So my understanding is there's already teams sniffing around, looking at uh, Paul McDonough as a potential hire. If he decides to move on, can you blame him? Can you blame Paul McDonough if he decides to leave Orlando City? So. 
I would say for all the people who were talking talking up Orlando City as the as the kind of uh, the model expansion team in the wake of NYCFC, I would say hold your horses on that one because not everything is going well so far. I, in my opinion, I think I don't think that's going to turn turn out too well for them. And I could I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Maybe next year they go sign all these international star players with this new guy's connections and they turn they kill it. But I don't know, man. I have my doubts. All right, Evis, we do have to end the MLS talk for now. I, I know we want to, there's plenty to talk about, but we got to move on because there's other things that are coming up here, especially on the international front for the U.S. men's national team, who next week begin, and I'm not joking when I say this, World Cup qualifying starts next week for the U.S. men's national team against St. Vincent and the Grenadines in St. Louis. You already reported, Ivis, that Darlington Nagby will get his first call-up for the U.S. men's national team. Um, what should we expect out of Jurgen Klinsmann with this roster? Could we see some fresh faces for this, or is Jurgen going to go with some of the veteran guys? That, that's a good question. You know, I think uh, I don't think we're going to see completely new faces. I don't think we're going to see uh, a complete changeover just yet. And, and here's why. And I know people are going to look at it and say, wait a minute. As bad as we've been, as bad as the Gold Cup was, as bad as the CONCACAF Cup was, why would we stick with these guys uh, any longer? Like, time to make the change. Let's make it happen. I get that. I get why people say that. But here's the thing. Uh, you, it's still World Cup qualifying. You still want to get your points in the bag and not make things any crazier than they need to be. St. Vincent and the Grenadines, not a great team. You should beat them. You could beat them with a, with a collection of, of, of fresh faces. Absolutely. However, you're going to Trinidad after that. Second game is in Trinidad. Port of Spain, Trinidad is not a pushover. Trinidad, as anyone who's seen them play, the last two times they played Mexico, uh, they're a handful. They're a handful. They got some goal scorers. They're a dynamic team. They're going to be at home. You know their home fans are going to be there supporting them uh, in the in in the Caribbean. It's going it's going to be a great great atmosphere. Uh, you don't want to go there with a with a team that's weaker than it needs to be. So that for me, I think it's going to be mostly veterans, but. I mean, could are there going to be some new faces? Of course, I think Darlington Nagby is one. Uh, that one kind of uh, crept out on Thursday, and uh, I did conf- I was able to confirm that he will be called up. Uh, you know, knock on wood, barring you know he stays healthy this weekend, he will be part of the 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 camp, and and I think it's great. I think he's someone who can absolutely be an impact player on the national team. I, I, I said as much when he first got a citizenship. Sticking by that, I think he could be great. Um, but beyond that, I, I, I think I, I still think people are going to have to wait to January to see the likes of Sebastian Lejet, Ethan Finley. Uh, I still I don't think I think Benny Villaber should I don't think he should wait by the phone. I think that I think that's that's come and gone. Now maybe Klinsman will be a you know maybe he'll have an epiphany and and, and decide oh I'll call Benny Philhaber now. I know he's not doing anything. His season's over. Uh, that'd be great. If and if it were me, if I were Jurgen Klinsmann for a day, I would call up Benny Felaber, but I'm not holding my breath on that. So, uh, but beyond that, I think it's going to be a lot of the same guys. I think it's going to be a lot of the same faces. The veterans, uh, they're going to be some veterans who, for me, I think are going to are going to be gone. Becker, I think Beckerman, I think Beasley, I think it's time for those. I think you got to kind of move on from those guys. But you know, Clint Dempsey will be back. Jermaine Jones, I think, will still be part of the setup. Um, you'll see, I, I think we will see Jordan Morris, even though he's in his college season, but I think he can skip a couple of college games to, uh, take part in qualifying. 
that's about for me that's about it i mm-hmm. i did a projection for gold.com uh and the the new the fresh faces that i had on it were nagby matt hedges and jordan morris that was about as close as i was getting is this an opportunity though for Jurgen Klinsmann to try out a guy like Bill Hamid in two games to kind of start to build that goalkeeper for the future? Uh, I don't know. No, here, here's my thing. Right, this round of qualifying, the U.S. should 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 qualify. That's what I'm saying. Right? This is this is when but, you can throw him out there. Yeah, but you have six games. You need to get the you need to lock it up first. You don't play around when you don't have the points in the bag yet. I think you know what. You win your first three games, and then you're in po- and then and then you're in pole position. Then you can do what you want with the last couple games. Then those are the games you can use for the younger guys. I don't think you start out of the gate messing around. I just don't think so. I just don't think. Just looking at the track record through the years, through the cycles, I just haven't seen any coach do that. I think every coach looks at it the same way. If we take care of business early on, if we put our full group together, uh, get them going, get the wins in the bag. Then those last two three games, then you can then you can trot out young teams. Then you can give guys chances. Then you can have, you know, you could send a you know send a, a, a B team to the Saint to say Vincent and the Vincent and the Grenadines to get a game in the Caribbean. I think that's the more likely scenario. I just don't see Klinsman uh, in the first two games of the qualifying cycle uh, messing around, man. I think he he know he know he knows he can't afford to do that. I think not only does he need wins, he needs the team to like flex muscle, give fans reason to be, believe again. Because right now, uh, the morale in the U uh, morale among U.S. fans has to be as low as it's ever been that I can remember in recent years. In what twenty years? I mean, even even in '98 when they were embarrassed in France in the World Cup, I don't think it was as low as it is now. I could be wrong, but it's pretty low right. Now. So if you're a Klinsman, you want two big wins, get those six points in the bag, and then then you're getting closer to time for the young guys. Well, that roster comes out on Friday. First game for the U.S. is next Friday here in America in St. Louis. On the Americans abroad front, Ivis, there is actually some stellar news to report, some great news. Bob Bradley has resigned from his Norwegian club, and there are reports that he has a verbal agreement with French club Le Havre. What do you make of this? I mean, look, it's one thing for Bob Bradley to having success in Norway, then moving on to one of the, you know, you could say one of the top five countries to coach in, you know, if you're an aspiring manager. When we move over to France, I mean, this is great and big news for Bob Bradley. I think it's a positive step for him. Uh, you know, my, my, my sources tell me it's a done deal. It, it, it's kind of been circling. Uh, it, it's been floating out there. The rumor's been floating out there for a week. Um, but, yes, he has accepted. Uh, he hasn't signed his contract yet, but that's in the works. Uh, his contract, he, he didn't, for the record, he didn't resign from uh, from Stabek. His contract ran out. He played out. He, he I'm coached sorry, you're right. yes. he, he saw out his contract, and he did an excellent job there. He 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 took a team. That had, I believe, the smallest budget in their league and got them a third place finish in a place in the Europa League, and, and they also managed to sell a player for for a, a pretty sizable transfer along the way. So you want to talk about a guy in two years doing an outstanding job. And and one thing I would say is, from from my understanding, uh, he has absolutely turned heads in Europe, and I say that because uh, he is he is definitely he's garnered interest. Uh, throughout Europe from from leagues that in the past you wouldn't have expected 
you know, teams to, to be interested in an American coach, and I think that's great. Uh, Le Havre is a second division French team, although they're right now in fourth place in the second divi- mm-hmm. in the French second division. Uh, I think it's a great challenge for him. Le Havre has a reputation for being a great developer of talent. Their youth setup there is excellent, and I think it's a great place for him to kind of you know build something there. And if he gets them promoted to the to the French to to league on, I mean, th- think about that. I mean, this time next year, you know. Bob Bradley could be coaching in, in league on and that, and that'd be amazing. So I think it's a great step next step for him. Uh, I know some people look at it and say, Oh, it's the French second division. What's the, you know, blah, blah, blah. But look, the Harvard is a club with, with, with some cachet. I believe uh, Paul Pogba played there. I believe he came up through the ranks there. The, the, the Juventus the star midfielder. So it, it, I think it's great. I think it's great to see him kind of being rewarded for that. I know people look at it and say, oh, why can't he get a job in England? Why won't these? Any yeah, that's England? that's what I don't get. Why didn't he just hold out for the Chelsea opening that's going to be out in a week? <laughs> uh, it, it, you know what, man? It comes down to it. English clubs, it premier, especially Premier League clubs, just aren't going to give a guy like him a chance. They're just not. And I know there's been stuff out there linking him to positions and linking him to interests from clubs. And, and, and for as far as I understand it, as far as I know, talking to my sources – there's been none of that. There's been nothing to that. There's been no legitimate interest from any team in the Premier League. Zero. And it's unfortunate. But you know what? In the Premier League, they definitely uh, – they, they, you know, they stick to, to kind of more established European coaches. I mean they do have their share of, of English retreads. But, uh, you know, they, they – uh, uh, it's tough. It's going to be tough for an American to break through. But he's he's chugging. He's 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 continuing to move along. And if he continues to have success, he's going to – I think he's going to open more doors. Because I tell you what, if he gets them promoted to the into Liga, and then he has sex, to, if he has success on that next level in Liga, then then you then you have, I mean, who can deny him then? You know, then you can start talking about Bundesliga. Then you can start talking about uh, lower level Premier League, higher level League Championship. Uh, that you know that can be a next step. So I, I think it's great. I think I've always respected him as a coach and. Obviously, coming up as a writer, I, I, you know, I, I worked a lot with him and covering him both as a club coach and as an Ashton coach. And, and he's, a, you know, he's one of the best, best people that I've dealt with in, in my travels. And it's great to see him continue uh, to succeed and continue to push. Because I can tell you what, folks, the guy, if he wanted to, could be in MLS right now making, making bank. I mean, he could have come back to MLS and I know I know people say, oh yeah, but his son did that. Whatever. But point is, he could be in MLS right now if he wanted to. But he is he is committed and he is on a mission to succeed in Europe. He's on a mission to blaze a trail there, and he's on his way, man. Well, speaking of managerial moves, one of the earliest German American born players for the national team, David Wagner, has accepted a job with Huddersfield who are in the championship in England. This is after he's been the manager of Borussia Dortmund, the second team for them. Um, Ivis, you know, hopefully it opens the door for more Americans moving over to England. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, he's like, here's a guy who, who has shown enough. I mean, obviously he played for the national team for the U S national team. Uh, he is like you said, a German American. He, uh, He's a guy who has worked with Americans at, at his, with his time in Dortmund. Obviously, he you know he worked with Joe Zhao. He worked with Junior Flores. Um, so you know he, he will, be interested to see what he does at Huddersfield and if he can if he can help them climb out of the the hole they're in in the league championship and uh, if he can have some success. And then there you go. Then you have it. There's another American coach 
kind of doing his thing. And 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 it, what I found interesting is that he, from what the reports uh, suggest, is that he turned down an opportunity to join Jurgen Klopp's coaching staff at Liverpool uh, to kind of do his own thing. And and I I, did, I thought did think it was interesting that you know him and Jurgen Klopp were best friends, and he was Jurgen Klopp's best man at his wedding and. You know, he definitely could have just taken an assistant position at Liverpool, but you know, clearly he's a guy with ambition, and he saw an opportunity there to, to take over his own thing. And it's great to have someone with American ties having an opportunity like that. And again, also a player, a, a coach who has shown a willingness to work with American players. So we'll see, we'll see what what that means and if that's going to uh, create some more opportunities for Americans in Europe. And I was coming back to soccer here in America. The NASL playoffs kick off this weekend. You have New York Cosmos taking on Fort Lauderdale Strikers. That's in New York. Then you have the Ottawa Fury who are at home taking on Minnesota United. We talked about it last week. I mean, Cosmos, they're, they're, for, they're the for sure favorite right now. I was going to the playoffs, correct? They are, they are. But I, I mean, I think it's going to be, a, it's, a, it's a good, it's a good, going to be a good battle. I think all four of these teams can win it. Uh, obviously, Ottawa's coming off having finished first in the fall season. It's always a little tricky when when you have a team like the Cosmos who wins the the spring season. They already have the kind of that 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 ticket in uh, already. Kind of you know they have that trophy. They're going to get in. Uh, Minnesota with the, uh, losing Miguel Ibarra was it was always going to be a challenge for them, but they overcame that. They still have Christian Ramirez, one of the best players in the league and in the NESL and a guy who, you know, maybe is due a national team call up if he, if he keeps impressing the way he has been. And then you have the strikers, you have the Fort Lauderdale strikers who, who have been a team that have been fun to watch in the year. They're uh, an attacking side that, that definitely scores goals in bunches. And I, I, I plan to be in Brooklyn for the Cosmos strikers playoff game. Uh, it, it, Cause you know, now that we're into the playoffs, we're getting down to the final games of the careers of both Raul and Marco Senna. So every game can be the last game of, of their careers. And you kind of want to be there for history, right? You want to be there for that last opportunity to see these guys play. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that one. And uh, it's going to be interesting for me because here's a little something for you, a little side note for you. Strikers Cosmos, there are going to be three players on the field in that game that I actually covered as high school players. And we're talking years ago now. Danny Zatella, and they and they all lived in Clifton actually. Danny Zatella, Jose Angulo, and Jonathan Barajo, the the defender, former actually former New York Red Bulls defender. Uh, I saw all three of those guys. Uh, Zatella and Barajo were were uh, players for Clifton High School, uh, and uh, Jose Angulo played at St. Benedict's. He Angulo, one of the best still to the. Not, I mean, I haven't covered a high school soccer game in seven years, but. I did it for 10, and Angulo was definitely one of the best players I ever saw play high school soccer. And he did have his time in MLS with the Red Bulls, but now he's in, in the NSL. He's done very well there. So it's going to be great for me to see these guys all grown up now and, uh, and doing their thing and, and fighting for a place in the final. Well, the Cosmos game will be on Saturday, and the Fury game will be on Sunday. Obviously, we talked about this a little bit earlier, expansion. And speaking of NASL, great time to talk about what's going down in San Antonio as the Spurs NBA team, their sports entertainment group, bought the San Antonio Scorpion Stadium. Not the team, but they bought the stadium. And now there's talk about possible MLS expansion. The stadium, let's start off with that. It's absolutely gorgeous and ready to be expanded. What's going on with this, Ivis? I mean, look, the Spurs are involved. I mean, this this seems like a pretty good thing, no? No, absolutely. It, it could be an excellent thing. And uh, from what I understand from my sources are telling me, 
the stadium has been has been uh, the Spurs now have control of that. Uh, and now at this point, you know, they're talking about MLS. They're talking about maybe they'll start with USL. But from what I understand, from what my sources are telling me down in Texas, is that what they really want to do is is push these the current San Antonio Scorpions San Antonio Scorpions owners into selling that team. And the team was for sale, but from from what I gather, the the, the asking price was 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 not uh, within the range that anyone was looking to sell, uh, anyone looking to buy. But now that the the stadium aspect of that has been handled. Now, pretty much. Now, if you're the Scorpions owner, you don't, you know, and and now there's an op- possibility that a USL team or MLS teams coming along. I mean, that devalues your product. You pretty much need to you need to sell, and I think that's what they're they're hoping uh, ultimately happens is that is that the owner, the current owners of the Scorpion, the current owner of the Scorpions, uh, sells the team to the same group, and then from there they have that infrastructure that's kind of already in place, and you know they can start out with an NASL team and kind of build that infrastructure ahead of what they hope will be an MLS team. Now it's not, it's not in the bag yet that they're going to get an MLS team. Uh, certainly not necessarily in the top 24. Uh, of course, could it happen? It could happen because if Miami falls apart, then you're talking about San Antonio competing with Sacramento. Uh, and it is unfortunate that Sacramento keeps kind of getting, keeps getting kind of pushed to the wayside. Um, but San Antonio is a good market. You know, you, you, you have to think, if they are able to work it out with the NASL Scorpions owner to sell that team, uh, that will give them a, that will allow them a chance to uh, build something quicker and have have kind of that foundation already to build something on. Uh, so that bears watching. We'll see how that plays out. But great news if you're if you're a fan of soccer in Texas, uh, the more the merrier. As uh, you know, you already have FC Dallas, you have Houston. Uh, I still hold out hope for an Austin team, so I can have a reason to go, uh, go, you know, MLS Austin. Let's make it happen, so because I, I, I want to go enjoy the best barbecue in in the world for me for my money. No offense, Kansas City, um, but yeah, no, it's great, it's great because you know what, the more markets, the better, and the more options it gives, uh, it gives the MLS because you know what, and, and Miami's just it just doesn't seem to want to work. Nope. And if it, and if it doesn't, then at least now they have. Yet another option uh, to choose from. Yeah. Uh, oh, MLS expansion. So, so, so exciting, Ivis. I, I know what that sigh, the, the, the subliminal message of that sigh was, oh, MLS, when, why can't you come to Phoenix? I know that, Soccer I know that. in Phoenix will never work. It's a disaster here. Uh, uh, well, Ask me. I'm a former PR guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it was a disaster. Eh. Oh, Ooh, and that, <laughs> that, that 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 takes its own show. Um, <laughs> Ivis, that's a, dude. That, it was a busy week this week. Yeah, man, it's been it's been pretty crazy. It was good. It was good though. But like, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like there were just so many different things to talk about this week. It's great, man. It's great when you think about all the levels. I mean, I mean, you, we didn't even touch on college soccer. I mean, college soccer, you had Georgetown knocking off Creighton. Creighton, all of a sudden, you know, they went from unbeaten number one. Now they've lost two matches uh, in pretty quick succession. They lost, uh, I believe, the Xavier, and now Georgetown, who uh, you know was my I believe, Georgetown was for those who forget, they were my preseason pick to win it all. Now they're starting to round into form after what was a very rough start to the season. So, yeah, man, there, there's, there's stuff popping off yeah. everywhere. And, well, dude, and the college like, cup's coming up. I'm look, dude. I'm looking forward to the college cup. I love it. It's fun. It's uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. The college season's wrapping up. It's November, and you know what November usually means? It's time for me to start putting together. My MLS draft big board, and, and the next week or two, I'm going to be uh, spending a lot of time on that. 
and, and I'll tell you what, man, there, for me, there's more, there, there's a good amount of talent coming out of this draft this year. Um, it's a good, it's a good year to have a first round pick or two. Uh, I think there's going to be some, I think this draft, I think this draft is going to be better than last year's draft, uh, top to bottom. And then I think actually the next year's draft could be even stronger because I think there's a really, there's a really strong crop of sophomores and juniors uh, that won't necessarily be in this year's draft, but I think in a year from now, and just in time for Atlanta coming on, coming on board. And I know Carlos Bogonegro is, uh, and and Darren Eels are going to love hearing that, but there, there will be a pretty strong draft crop uh, ahead of the 2017 draft. My team for the College Cup, I was UCLA. Don't sleep on them, man. They're starting to heat up. Well, yeah, I mean they got. I mean they hope they got a lot of losses. So let's not. Are they even guaranteed to get in? I mean, I'm sure the they RPI have a, is not bad. They, they had a huge a victory RPI. over Akron the other day. They got a good RPI, so they get if they get in. Hey, I mean they're not a they're not a sleeper. I mean this is a team that was what number two in the country. I mean I, SBI. I think they were SBI number two. In the preseason, and then they just were unbelievably awful. They have too, they have way too much talent to stay to, to keep losing the way they were losing in the beginning of the year. Uh, it be, I, I hope they get in, man, because the more we get to see, uh, not only Abu Dunlady, who is going to be one of the top three players taken in the MLS draft, but they also have the freshman standout Jackson Ewell, who is also starting to get a lot of buzz in terms of Generation Adidas consideration. Uh, so, what about and, what about Jose Hernandez too, man? He's getting some good buzz as well. There's some questions about his size, but dude, uh, that dude. Okay, I've seen I'm that. Saying, I've seen I'm that kid play for there. three years. I'm saying what's the conversation, man? That I'm, he I'm is one of the toughest kids I've ever seen on a soccer field. He's hey, he's good, man. Dude, he, the uh, kid is a beast, man. He plays like he's escaping from something, and I mean <laughs> that like in a very positive way. Dude, the kid is a monster. Everyone remember that name. He's the best kid to come out of RSL, which is shocking. Not even pro yet. I'm calling it, Ivis. He's, uh, you, can, you can you can check this in two years, three years from now. Hey man, I, I'm hearing good things about him. I'm hearing good things about him. So so we'll see. Yeah. All right. Enough of my uh, <laughs> pipping out the RSL kids. Uh, anything else we need to talk about? I was on today's show. Covered every, you go. We've covered. I think we've covered. Uh, oh, we got another note. Here's what US the MLS USL teams will not be able to compete in the US Open Cup. Yeah, I saw that. That that should. What be. do you think about that? Uh, I mean, it's. <laughs> It makes sense. I mean, teams were kind of using it to their advantage, playing certain players. And then, you know, I know you could call up academy players, which is weird because they're pro games, but they're not. They can still play in college. I mean, I, I get it. Eh, yeah. That, it's, it's not an it's, issue. It, it, I think it muddies it a bit. I, I think it's. I think it was a good decision. I yeah. think it is. I mean, it's obviously unfortunate for, for some of these young guys who, who are going to miss out on that opportunity to play in that competition. But you know what? They, why don't gonna, they just gonna, make their own cup then? Hey, maybe that's you know. Considering USL is trying to have like a fifty-team league, I mean, that that's the next step. The the USL League Cup. That's a that's a good idea, man. They I mean, they could, that. yeah, they could do. Or they, or yeah, I mean, moments of yeah, they they have eight teams. It's even teams. It's a possibility. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me if they if that if that becomes kind of a a little side side note. It thing. could happen. I mean, get some more you know games what? in there. And then these te- these guys, these teams are getting games. That's I mean they they're already getting a decent number of games, and you know I mean yeah, it's, you, know, you know every coach would love to get more. <laughs> right, right, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. All right, Ivis. With that, man, I'll let you go. You enjoy your weekend, and uh, and look, I'll talk to you after you survive the New York Red Bull game, and we'll be recapping the MLS 
Cup playoff action this weekend, Ivis. So you enjoy yourself this weekend, all right, man? Yeah, it's going to be my first quiet week in a while because then you got a. Uh... St. Louis after that uh, I'm probably I wasn't originally going to go to St. Louis I'm probably going to St. Louis I know it's World Cup qualifier but they're, let's face it they're going to destroy this team um, but I will be in Trinidad that's 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 uh, already a done deal I've never actually been in Trinidad looking forward to that one um, but this weekend should be interesting man you got the red you have the Cosmo Strikers on Saturday in Brooklyn uh, and then you have Red Bulls DC United on Sunday so it's going to be good it's going to be a good weekend yeah looking forward to it man alright I was Enjoy yourself. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. As always, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you for everything else. That is Ivis Glarsep. I am Garrett Cleverly. This is the SBI Show.